This morning we are continuing our work through the Gospel of John with that overriding question, who is this Jesus that is being presented to us in this Gospel? And we are at chapter 9 this morning, a chapter that uh, tells one story in its entirety. So we'll be reading the entirety of chapter 9, verses 1 through 41 in your pew Bibles that can be found on page 1064. Otherwise, the whole text will be on the screen uh, as found behind me. Follow along as we hear from the Gospel of John, chapter 9. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some of them said, It is he. Others said, No, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud. And opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about the man since he has opened your eyes? The man said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now 
I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may, be, may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every once in a while, you have those moments that can all of a sudden creep up out of nowhere. You're at work interacting with your coworkers. You're at school talking to your classmates. You're driving through your car and your kids bring something up. Or you're just out for coffee at a coffee shop with a friend. And before you know it, all of a sudden, what was just a casual, normal conversation takes a turn. And suddenly, your friend or your coworker or your child brings up something that is spiritual and deep. And the conversation now is a moment where you have the opportunity to share your faith. Now, if you're anything like me, when those moments come up, Two things almost simultaneously happen emotionally. First, there is an amount of an excitement. This is it. This is one of those moments that I've been praying for, I've been asking God about it, I've been hoping to be prepared for. I have the opportunity to share with this friend, this person, about who Jesus is and what they mean to me. This is exciting. And again, at almost the same time, there's also an emotional terror or dread. Oh no. What if they ask me something I don't know the answer to? 
Am I ready to share my faith? What if I I don't remember the stories? Or what if I don't get all of the details right? What if they they confront me with wanting answers to things that I can't explain or haven't ever been able to explain? And that dread creeps up into me. I, I hope that most of you of a certain age can relate to when those moments come. And from my own experience and from what I've heard from others, that combination of both excitement and dread seems to flow at the same time. And I think our text has something to say about how we can be prepared for those things. Lately, going all the way back to chapter 7 of John, we have been seeing Jesus teach in the temple during the festival of booths. And there has been all kinds of rich and deep theology that Jesus has been expressing, that John has been interweaving with themes about Old Testament understanding and these festivals and and what it reveals about who Jesus is and how he is the light of the world. And I know for a fact that two weeks ago, Pastor Patrick and last week, Pastor Micah had to do a lot of work of figuring out in all of those rich and deep details, what do I have to cut out and ignore in order to bring a message? It was a big challenge, which is why in some ways I'm blessed to have chapter nine, which is kind of a refreshing break here. Finally, just a, a normal miracle of Jesus. But don't miss the fact That in many ways, what we see and experience of Jesus is just a flowing out of all of the things that he had been saying about himself in the last two chapters. He had been claiming to be the light of the world, and as he opens the eyes of this blind man, we see and experience exactly what that means. The scene starts with Jesus apparently leaving the temple, and as he's going, One of those unexpected moments pops up for Jesus' disciples. Who knows what they had been talking about beforehand, but in walking past and noticing this man who was blind from birth creates a, a teachable moment where the disciples want to know, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is this a punishment for a sin that he committed, or is it a punishment for a sin that his parents had committed? And the assumption behind their question is pretty apparent and clear. Because this man suffered the affliction of being blind, that must mean that it was a direct punishment for a sin in either his life or his parents' life. They assumed that all suffering could be connected to some actual sin that somebody had done, that there was a one-to-one ratio. This person is suffering, therefore they had done something wrong to have earned for themselves that suffering. It was their fault that God was judging them and punishing them. It was the same mistake that the friends of Job had made, it's the same mistake that a lot of people make to this very day. They assume It's because a person is sick, because they have a disability, because they have been diagnosed with cancer or losing out financially, that that's something that God is judging them for. And to this question, Jesus gives this wonderfully comforting answer because he rejects 
that assumption. He says, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Yes, being born blind clearly is a hard and a negative thing. Yes, it is part of a broken and fallen world and all suffering is connected in general to the problem that there is sin in the world. That's where all suffering does find its source. But even in this negative thing, God had a positive plan to do something great with this man's life. And that should be a comfort to us. When we get diagnosed with a disease, when the desired child never comes, or when the child does come, everything isn't entirely correct and right. When we struggle and suffer, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is punishing us. And we need to remember that God is a God that delights in redeeming broken and hurting things. For his glory. And so, after correcting his disciples' theology about suffering, Jesus, not having been asked or approached, not having even been begged, Lord, give me sight, Jesus goes to this man, he spits in the dirt, mixes his saliva with that dirt to make mud, and then he puts that on the man's eyes, telling him to go and wash himself in the pool of Siloam, that same pool that had been used in the festival of booths. And the man does. And when he does, his eyes are opened, and he can see. It's an incredible miracle that Jesus had performed. And it should be an immediate cause for everyone to pause and celebrate the fact that something that had been broken and hurting in this man has been healed and forgiven and cleansed. It should be another incredible answer to the question of who is this Jesus? He is a healer, a miracle worker on par with no one the world had ever seen before. It should be another undeniable sign that Jesus is different. He is powerful. He is the divine son of God that he claimed to be. It should be. But as we've seen before, it instead becomes a source of controversy. The neighbors of the man are blown away by what had happened. Clearly and understandably, something had changed in him so much that they even wonder if it's the same person. But he, he insists that he is. And it becomes another practical moment. We have to figure this out. And so the neighbors bring this man to the Pharisees in order to get their input on what had just taken place. And, and this is where we learn about the problem. Like his earlier miracle from chapter 5, where the man was healed at the pool of Bethesda, this miracle also happened on a Sabbath, which was supposed to be a day of rest. A day where you don't do work like kneading together mud and saliva and washing. And this raises the issue. 
You see, the Pharisees, as strict adherents to the laws of Moses in every detail, saw this as another confirmation that this man, Jesus, was a wicked sinner. That him doing this on the Sabbath was clearly a confirmation of their ongoing bias that Jesus just is no good. So here's their dilemma. They don't like Jesus. They don't believe that he's doing the work of God. They believe that Jesus is leading people astray. And so they are going to look for every single opportunity to confirm that belief and that understanding. However, that's a very difficult belief to hold on to when there is a man who everybody knows was born blind, could never see his entire life, and now all of a sudden, because of what Jesus had done, his eyes are opened and he can see. But if you admit that that took place, then you necessarily must also admit that that is revealing something absolutely incredible about the Jesus that performed that. That he isn't a sinner or someone to be destroyed, but he is the powerful divine son of God he claims to be. So what do they do? They have to make sure that they can discredit the miracle and dismiss it in order to continue to hold on to their biases and their disbelief about who Jesus was. And that's a lot of what we see happening in this chapter. And they try it in all kinds of incredible ways. In many ways, it looks like this man's on trial, but really this is another trial about who is this Jesus. And so they try to deny the fact that this is the same man that had been begging at the gate. Somebody totally different. When that doesn't work, they try to deny the fact that he was actually born blind. Just had been faking it all of these years. Or or maybe his, uh, his parents had gotten it wrong. He could see pretty well and now it's just a little bit better. They try to pressure this man and his parents into admitting that something is wrong in order to deny that Jesus is who he claims to be. And their scare tactics seem to work pretty well on this man's parents. As they sort of, uh, the modern language would be, throw their son under the bus and say, just ask him. They confirm his identity, but they're not going to say anything about what that means about Jesus. But the blind man, or the formerly blind man, is pretty strong. And he won't budge. He simply tells his story, and he lets the truth of his experience speak for itself to the point where he he mocks the Pharisees. He proves that he's got a pretty good handle on what it means to be a servant of God, all the way to the point where they follow through on their threats of casting him out of the synagogue. Something serious like being excommunicated from the church. Because of his stubbornness in the truth. And while we appreciate his stubbornness in the truth, we also can't help but marvel at the stubbornness of the Pharisees in refusing to believe what was right before them. Something I think is another teaching moment for us and just how stubborn we all can be in our sin and in the denial of the truth. 
like the Pharisees, that happens with unbelievers. Their starting point is where we all start, sinful by nature, hating God and our neighbor. They don't believe that God exists. They do not want to surrender to him as the Lord and creator of the universe, let alone the Lord of their lives. And so they will look for anything to confirm that belief. They think they know that the world was created or made by the Big Bang and then evolution brings about life. So any flaws in that understanding or any inclusion of God as a better explanation for where we've come from gets dismissed. They think they know that the Bible was just made up by the disciples of Jesus to make him look better than what he really is. And therefore, we can ignore what it says, especially when it brings up miracles, because miracles just do not happen. And so they will dismiss the truths of Scripture because they think they know better. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. Their knowledge got in the way. They say, we know this man is a sinner, and therefore they looked for anything that would confirm their bias and deny the reality of what had happened. And with those preconceived ideas, there's no room for God or for their minds to be changed, regardless of the evidence before them. People are stubborn in their blindness. But before we get overly proud of ourselves, let's not ignore the truth that we can often do the very same thing. We know that God has identified certain actions as sinful. Things that when we do them, ruin our relationship with him and harm our own lives. We have seen people's lives destroyed when they give in to addictions when they participate in excessive drinking, when they engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, when the examples are all around us. And yet, despite knowing the truth, hearing the warnings, and seeing the evidence, when the temptation comes, what do we do? We close our ears, we shut our eyes, and we move forward doing exactly what we wanted to do. And that's just how insidious sin is. Just like the Pharisees who couldn't see Jesus for who he was, even though he was right there in front of them, miraculously taking a man born blind and giving him sight, we too cling to wrong ideas and wrong behaviors despite all of the knowledge and the evidence that holding on to those ideas and engaging in those behaviors is undeniably wrong, hurtful, and harmful. We become blinded by our own self-delusion. But that's where we can learn the real lesson of this passage. After this man stands firm in his story and in his convictions and is cast out from the synagogue as a result of his beliefs in Jesus, Jesus seeks him out. And through their conversation, we learn that this just wasn't about the man's physical eyes being opened so that he could see, but it was that his spiritual eyes were now opened to the truth of who Jesus was. And the man gives testimony to the fact that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is his Lord, and he worships him as his Savior. 
which leads Jesus to speak about how he came into this world, not that those who, uh, who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. I think I misread that, so let me say it again. Jesus came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That's an incredible promise that Jesus is making. That all who are willing to see Jesus for who he is will have their spiritual eyes opened. And the world will make more sense. It is a promise that he is a gracious God that will seek all those out and heal us from our sins. It's an incredible promise that points to the great mission that he came, which was to cleanse us, not just from the physical burdens that we bear in this broken and fallen world, but the spiritual damage that we have done to our lives and our relationship with God, that as he died on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sins so that we can be forgiven, restored, and reunited with God. It is a promise That Jesus came to remove the spiritual blindness from all those who are willing to see the truth. But at the very same time, it is also a word of warning. A warning to those who refuse to see. A warning to those that think that they've got life all figured out. And in their answers, there is no room for God. And rejecting Jesus... They will forever be blind and lost. If you're someone here this morning who still has questions, as we all do, but in those questions you are refusing to receive the truth of who Jesus is, this story is another one where you are forced to answer the question, who is this Jesus? Which side are you going to stand on? And whose testimony are you going to believe? Are you going to fall on the side of the Pharisees that say, despite what I see, I will not budge. Jesus doesn't fit into my categories, and so I will define him as someone who can be denied, rejected, and dismissed because he is a sinner and a liar, and he doesn't fit into my categories. Or will you stand with the blind man who says, I don't know all of who Jesus is, but I know I was blind and now I see. And if he's someone that can turn me from a blind man into someone who has sight, he is someone greater. He can't be the sinner you claim him to be. He must be the Lord he claims to be. I pray for you, that your heart will be softened and your eyes will be opened to look again at the evidence and to understand and appreciate who Jesus is truly. But finally, let me go all the way back to my opening about those unexpected moments that come up where we both get excited and terrified in the opportunity to share our faith with another Because I do see in this story uh, an opportunity for hope in those circumstances. When the man born blind was put in that very pressured environment where he was called before the Pharisees and asked to explain his understanding of who Jesus was, what did he do? Did he panic? Did he say, oh, okay, um, 
Well, let's go back to where he just was. Uh, He was teaching about the Feast of Booze, and the Booze was a celebration of the uh, the, the dismissal from Exodus, or, wait, no, um, he's the light. No, he didn't get into all of that. He didn't get tripped up on all of the details. He didn't wonder if he could properly quote the Old Testament. He simply told his story. The simple story, I once was blind, but now I see. And for many of you, that's where I want to encourage you, is that anxiety and and fear creeps up and you say, I don't know if I will be able to answer all of the questions. Don't get overly worried. Just tell your story. I may not be able to explain everything about who Jesus is, but this I know. I know Jesus. I know my life goes better when I live according to his commands. I know that in trusting him, he has changed me into a new person and he has given me hope and purpose and meaning in my life. And I am comforted by the fact that in belonging to him, I don't have to fear death or worry about that. I know Jesus. Now, to be clear, your story is not the gospel And the gospel does need to be explained, but more often than not, a wonderful way into a conversation is to simply explain, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And Jesus is the one who did that. Friends, don't fear. Know your story. Share it with others. And let that become the opportunity to tell who Jesus is to you. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as we begin, we acknowledge and confess once again how stubborn we are in our sin. We know your word. We know what is right. We have seen what happens when we disregard that word and live according to our own desires, and it always leads to destruction. And yet, we are so stubborn that we continue to move forward. Lord, convict us through your spirit. Continue to open our eyes to the truth of who you are and the person that you not only call us to be, but equip and enable us to be through the power of your spirit. And in knowing that, give us that story to tell, that wonderful story that we share, that Jesus indeed is the miracle worker, the Son of God, our Lord, our Savior, worthy of all of our praise and worship and all of our service throughout our lives. And in having that testimony, may we be bold in sharing that with others. May we tell them about what you have done for us. May we be stubborn in our experiences that though we were lost, we have been found and that you are a God who is looking for them as well, who wants to love them and change them. Lord, again, through your spirit, we pray that when those conversations and opportunities to share that faith come up, that we would trust that you would give us the words to say so that others' eyes might be open as ours have been. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.